0: I learned something this week when you're having your Christmas conversations and chatting to Riley about, about rugby league, which is my favorite sport. because course, he's built for rugby league, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> but I got the big, I don't wanna play rugby league. I wanna be a ninja warrior. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we know what Riley's career path is anyway now. To Pray for opportunities in the ninja world. Uh, I was also very blessed by something, uh, Amy's husband, Zach, Facebook this week. Um, They had arranged. you know, Zach's in a band, a a good band in the city, have a good following, and they'd arranged for, to do a, um, a gig on the 21st, which they've had to cancel because people were saying, I've got stuff on her. I can't be there, and I'd like to be there, but I've got stuff on. I thought, it's not just the church, is it? So it was good to hear that. It encouraged me. What are we laughing at? Okay, I just pulled up another one of the videos from last year uh, because I'd I'd looked at it this morning and something that I wrote with it. So let's have a look at it, and then I'll... uh, I'll make the comment. Some of you will remember this. Everybody's looking for that something One thing that makes it all complete You find it in the strangest places Places you never knew it could be Some find it in the face of their children Who can deny the joy it brings When you found that special thing You're flying without a wings Closer to the ones you love this Christmas. Vodafone. Power to you. Here's what I wrote about that and I posted it on uh, Facebook today. This is Terry the turkey. Terry was raised to be roasted, only to find out at the last minute that other provision had been made. So instead of being roasted, he was invited to sit at the table. If there is such a thing as a turkey gospel, this is it. Sadly, the Christian gospel often seems to leave its hearers with the message that God is love, but the oven is on at 3,000 degrees, lovingly prepared for your demise. But we at the Rock of York, soon to be Q, believe in a more beautiful gospel. We've not been raised to be roasted, but to sit at a table. God does not sit there doling out sentences for sins, but sending out invitations to sinners and saints alike. Truly very good news, particularly for the likes of me. I tried to find a Bible verse that talks about turkeys and nut roasts. Apparently that's not a major theme of scripture. But I did find this in Psalms 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Throughout history, people have experienced that moment when a realization dawns that rather than being raised to be roasted or to just disappear they have been invited to a table where life is on the menu. Maybe the longevity of this thing that began with a few diverse people who followed the one born in Bethlehem, who believed the absurdities at the core of its message to the extent of martyrdom, showed that those absurdities may not be as absurd as thought by some, but part of the authentication of the invitation that we now stand with an opportunity to accept. The true gospel really is a beautiful thing. Not to be feared, but to be embraced for its wonderful invitation. I hope you've noticed my skillful avoidance of any reference to the fact that somebody's nuts had to be roasted in order to save the turkey. Happy Christmas. So... Who can finish this uh, line of a famous carol? Okay, we three. Well, that's not really true. What it should be is, we three Persian Zoroastrian astrologers of orientar. There was a lot of discomfort, I believe, in the translators of the Bible in truly dealing with this issue of these people who came To see Jesus, who were known as the Magi, from which we get our English word magic, they were magicians, they were not astronomers who looked at the heavens and charted out, they were astrologers who believed you could tell the future by looking at the heavens. And so what we did to, to try and alleviate the issue of having to deal with these people coming to see Jesus was we changed the terminology. So we changed the terminology to wise men, which is pretty good, that's, that's, that's reasonable. But then, of course, the one we're most familiar with is they decided to change the terminology to kings. Now, there is some historic context to the fact that magi were sometimes kings, but I don't believe that's the reason that the translation says that. I think it's because we didn't know how to deal with people coming to Jesus from perspectives that we can't handle or don't understand. So, I believe that there is inherent cleverness within the Scriptures. Uh, And and personally, I mean, many of you know, I don't believe that Scripture is inerrant. That means that it has no errors. I I think there are plenty that you can point out in the translative process. So, if we're talking about Scripture as a translated process of text, then within the translated process of text... Uh, there are, without doubt, um, some errors within there, but that's not our discussion. But, but, but I believe that there is an inherent cleverness within the scriptures that we know as the Bible that engages with and within the culture it's written about, and to and to say more than the text appears to say. I, I like the Bible. I like it because of this richness, I like it because of its intelligence, I like it because of this inherent cleverness that he's saying something beyond the text. See, the characters on stage during this epic event that we call the nativity are also testament to this fact of the inherent cleverness. For example, angelic messengers appearing to shepherds might not sound of any significance, but there is a message within this because shepherds were the despised at this time. They had become the despised of, of the community. They were like the plebs of ancient Rome. You know, they were like, they were like the, which area should I use? The Clifton kids. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing these guys. They were like, how about chapel fields? Chappy? <laughs> chapel fields? Anybody from ch- chapel fields? No. <laughs> anyway, in your self-righteousness, you, you get that there are groups of people that are often not accepted as much by society and the shepherds were those. So I find it interesting what the Bible is suggesting that heaven's clearest conversation... Occurred with people who, in society, were deemed to be unacceptable or outcasts or rejected. See, there's a message within the message. There's another one as well that 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 that, that an unknown, immature virgin girl should get chosen. Why not a princess? Why not? Why not a high society somebody uh, who you would think was known and therefore? would deserve it. Why not, a, why not the Kim Kardashian of Judea? But it, but it was this unknown, probably teenage virgin girl. That, that Some traditions would tell us that she probably was no older than 16 years of age when, when she became the source into which the Messiah would be birthed so so we have again there the, there is a message within the message about about the un, that, it, that it's not who we are it's not what we've done it's not who recognizes us that qualifies us for the most amazing of world changing miracles and then we've got a guy who's a carpenter who barely gets mentioned again after this you know, I mean, it's like he pops onto the stage and he does his thing and then we barely hear of him again. It's like he's just disappeared. We don't know if he died or whatever, but, but in one sense, that, that's not important because what he needed to do, he did when he needed to do it at the time he needed to do it. So what the rest of the story is doesn't really matter in the context of this news about the good news because when it was needed, he had what he needed for when he needed it to do what needed to be done. This is the story within the story. And I love the, um, the fact that in, in Peterson's The Message version of the Bible, when, when Joseph is told that Mary's pregnant and, uh, and uh, that uh, she hasn't been sleeping around, that, that the Holy Spirit basically has fathered the sinners, Peterson uses a lovely phrase. He says that he says, Joseph, chagrined but noble, hid these things in his heart and took Mary to be his wife. Chagrined but noble. Now, of course, chagrined is a, I like words, so I like the word chagrined is a nice word, isn't it? Chagrined. What it really means is he was really put out. I mean, he was totally ticked off. He was not a happy bunny. That's what Chagrin mean. He was he was, you know, I mean, you having somebody turn up and say your girlfriend's pregnant, um, but it wasn't anybody, it was God. You know, I mean uh most of us if you tried pulling that you wouldn't get away with it. So If you contextualise this and think of Joseph, he he was put out. And and what I like about the story within the story is there are some things that will put us out. There are some things that will tick us off. There are some things we won't understand. There are some things hard to get to grips with. But you have to take a hold of it in its context and in the word that you've been given and get on with it. And that's what Joseph did. There was a nobility that looked beyond his difficulty, and because of that, he, he became a major player in this, in this bringing in of what was in, an incredible miracle of heaven. So, what else? Um, why a manger? I mean, I don't think the manger was chosen because somebody was thinking, when these guys celebrate Christmas in 2,000 years' time, it would be really nice if we could have the scene set. So it, wouldn't it look fantastic if we had Jesus in a manger and we had cattle and animals and straw and Mary in blue, of course, which I'm sure she wore Mary in blue and Joseph in brown and then the shepherds with their tea towels on their heads. And, um, you, you, you know, you've got to think these things through. Why a manger? Why, why would, if God is who he says he is, if he's the creator of the universe, if he's the father of all things, why the heck would you, would you elect to turn up in a manger of all places? Why would you submit yourself to the humiliation of there being no room in an inn uh, for you to have a nice room? Why, why, would you, why would you do that unless there's a story within the story that talks about, in the humblest of places, God finds his residence, God finds a home, God finds a place, and that it's not about palaces, because again, our mentality looks for things like palaces and kings and princes and power and authority, when really what it's saying is that God needs none of those trappings to turn up. He needs none of those external appearances of success for him to come on the scene and to do what he does. He can work from the, from the humble beginnings of a manger, which takes not a lot of preparing, and basically it was the cattle trough. It's where the cattle eat. You couldn't get much lower than that. So I, I think there's another message in there that says you'll never get lower than Jesus has been, which is why it can lift you higher than you will ever could ever imagine or ever dream in your own strength. So why an obscure village? Why why wasn't it Jerusalem? There's all that stuff going on about Jerusalem right now and Donald Trump and all that scenario going on there. Why why this obscure village? Because Bethlehem was really just an obscure village. But there was a prophecy that said, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you're not the least among the princes of Judah. Out of you will come a governor who will rule my people Israel. Or in other words, it's the statement that says... You are never obscure, you are never unseen, you are never unknown, you are never unimportant. See, this is all in the text. This is all within the context of the text. This this is all within that inherent cleverness of Scripture that's trying to get through to you. You'll never be forgotten. You are chosen. You're a place where Christ can come and do in you what he did in Bethlehem and that be part of it. So one other little thing, and then I'll move on to this. Uh, um, you know, why the census at that time? And there's some who say historically there's no record of the census. There are others who say that's because the records of this, that, and the other. Um, not, I'm not really bothered, to be honest, because it's, it's the inherent cleverness of Scripture that sets a scenario that brings Mary and Joseph to the place where they're supposed to be at the time when they're supposed to be there to do what they're supposed to do because Bethlehem was the place, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are not the least, that's where the governor's going to be gone, of course when the kings come to Herod and Herod asks the wise men, do you know where this guy's going to be born? They say in Bethlehem of Judea. So the question is, how do you get this, this unknown virgin girl who is engaged to this unknown carpenter to this unknown place at the right time for this miracle to happen. There has to be something. So the census again is this inerrant cleverness within Scripture that I believe always gets us to the place where we need to be at the time we need to be there for what it is that needs to happen. Now of course, we still have to cooperate. We still have to be willing to understand and there's nothing worse than religion blinding our eyes to the ability to engage in this because you don't find one High church, significant, religious, Jewish believer anywhere near all this at that time. Not a clue what's going on and it's the most important event in history at that time connected to what would be then the crucifixion and the resurrection and the defeating of death. Not one of these church people are anywhere near, haven't got a clue what's going on. I propose to you that's never changed. And still doesn't change, and we'll say a word about that in a moment. So, we got the census, and of course, then this, okay? And I want to read it to you, because it's just, I might as well read you the story. Matthew chapter 2, and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So they're not in Bethlehem. They haven't noticed the star, which is sad because uh, if you look at the evidence around this, either the the Magi set out two years before Jesus was born or they set out after Jesus was born because why would Herod instruct that all the children under two years of age should be killed in Jerusalem unless there was a two-year window, a two-year time scale. So our lovely idea of having Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men you know, around our manger is actually extremely inaccurate. It makes a nice picture and of course it pulls everything together. But actually there's a two-year window somewhere in there that we have to account for. And my question would be, they can give you all the scriptures. Oh, it's in Bethlehem of Judea. But for two years, there's been this flipping great star in the sky that these wise men have seen that is leading them to where Jesus says that none of the religious crowd have spotted or noticed or been aware of and it's like, you know, just carry on with our stuff. And yet this amazing event is happening that's going to change the world. It's going to change theology, our understanding of God. Because incidentally, theology is not the study of the Bible. That would be Bibliology. Theology is the study of God, in which we use the Bible, but the Bible is not God. He is the living word that was manifest in Jesus. So this was going to change theology, how we see God, because the problem never was how God sees us. And the distortion of the gospel became that the problem is that we are a problem, and that sin is the problem that makes us a problem, and that therefore how God sees us is the problem, and how God sees us must be changed. It's actually the way around, that it's how we see God that needed to be changed, which is why the Word became flesh and lived among us, because God sent a gospel that says, I need to change how you see me, because how I see you has never changed. So, Uh, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Which of course he had zero intention of doing. Uh, He was out to murder him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now this, this is interesting, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. So it's now no longer a stable and a manger and a baby. It's now a house and a child with his mother. And Joseph's not mentioned here, which is very interesting. But that, you know, that's a, another conversation. And they bowed down and worshipped him. then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. I so desperately wanted to do the uh, Life of Brian clip here. Uh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by any other route. What's that you've got? Frankincense and myrrh. Oh, you can keep that. We'll just have the gold. <laughs> There's actually prophetic significance in it, but I still like the way it is on. So here's my point Why I wanted to come to you. Why, why Magi? Why... Why? Seriously, Magi, because as I said to you at the beginning, these are Persian astrologers who if you know anything about Persian history and Persian spirituality at that time, you can almost bet your bottom dollar were were a group called Zoroastrians. Now, remember, Islam has not occurred yet, so they were not Muslim because that hasn't happened. They were Zoroastrians. Astrians, now if you want to know what a Zoroastrian is, you've got Google, you've got Wikipedia. Go and find out. It's not for me to tell you everything. Uh, What is interesting about some of these things when you read them is what, what we know as cultural borrowing. You can see where different belief systems have borrowed stuff. And we also have to be careful because to assume that the process of Jewish belief that brought us to this day to assume that that had not borrowed from other cultures certain principles. It is most likely that our concepts of heaven and hell uh, and judgment came from the Zoroastrians, not from Scripture. But then we have overlaid it and read Scripture through that lens. But I really do believe God's a lot more loving than that and I think his grace reaches further than we ever imagined, which is a lot of the point of this that to Persian Zoroastrian astrologers, right, stargazers, star charts, uh, horoscope, his grace reached to those people. And he didn't say, you've got to stop being that if you want to become this. He said to them, come as you are. And he actually used their skill in those abilities to bring them to the place where they could get a revelation of who Jesus the Christ really was. I am so sorry for all the judgment and junk that I have imposed upon people historically for some of these arenas, thinking that Jesus could only meet them if they were sorted in certain ways, when actually what we see here is he draws these shepherds from the hills. He draws them by a word from an angel. He draws these magi, these magic men, he draws them from another nation by following a star, which is what they did, and by looking at the charts and the horoscope saying, this means a king is born. Well, you bet your king was born. But how they found their way to the king was basically by the principle of horoscope. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't promote or suggest that horoscopes are the way to read the future. I don't think that that is the way. But what I'm saying to you is that the call of Jesus in his grace when he comes in the flesh pulls people from all streams and thoughts and it doesn't first run them through a series of questions. What is it you believe? How much do you believe? What have you done? Why are you doing that? It draws them to a place where they can get a revelation of the word made flesh living among them. So I'm glad that the Magi are in this story. I'm glad that these Persian astrologers, these Persian Zoroastrian astrologers, that that the grace of God was able to pull them and reach them. What I also find interesting is that these Persian Zoroastrian astrologers were more tuned in to what was happening at the time of God being made flesh than the whole religious community. Now that blows me away. Let me say that again because it's very important. It would appear that a bunch of Persian Zoroastrian astrologers were more tuned in to what was happening at the time of God being made flesh than the whole religious community. That's interesting, isn't it? But you see, here's what I believe. They were the ones prepared to make the journey to find the truth. Here's what I wrote. Seems religious people have an aversion to their truth being questioned or challenged and don't want to make a journey beyond or outside of that. So here's the deal. I'd rather have a bunch of Persian Zoroastrian astrologers than a bunch of religious people. Because you're back again to the point that in 33 years' time, it's going to be the religious crowd that take this one who is the Word made flesh and put him on a cross because we will not have this man to rule over us. He's messing with our doctrine, he's messing with our belief, he's messing with our theology. He can't possibly be the Christ of God and so they missed the real revelation of who Jesus was. God save us from ever being caught in institutional religious thinking in this place. Please help me to keep us free of that because we will miss every coming of Messiah when we get caught up in that. Now, I don't care how much history we have, I don't care how much knowledge we have because these people had history going all the way back to the garden, they had knowledge going all the way back to the laws of Moses, they could quote scripture till it was coming out of their ears and when Jesus turned up, they not only missed him but they killed him. So it would be arrogant and presumptuous to suggest that if we get caught up in that stream that we would not do exactly the same and I think that is exactly what happens when belief becomes religion and religion becomes institutionalised and then we will not make a journey. Thank God for these Persian Zoroastrian astrologers who were willing to make a journey, probably a two-year journey to leave their homeland, to leave what they knew and find this king with whom they were not familiar, but they knew he was coming and they wanted to find him. And when they found him, they wanted to honor him, not crucify him, honor him. Wanted to lay their gifts at his feet. My my suggestion would be to you that those Persian, Zoroastrian astrologers went away with something that day that revolutionized their life and thinking that they met a presence and a power in that house when they saw that child that they'd never encountered before. To the extent where when they were supposed to go back and tell Herod where the child was, he says an angel came to them, says go back another way. So they were now sensitized to heaven's voice from that encounter because they were drawn. See, there seems to me when you look at this whole spectrum a whole lot of journeys embedded in this story, which again is this inherent, this in, inherent wisdom, this, this in, inherent truth, this, this, this inherent cleverness of Scripture. Mary and Josie had to make a journey to Bethlehem. See, there's a journey there. Mary had to make a journey from conception to birth. There's a journey there. The Magi our Persian friends had to make a journey from, from Persia, Iraq, that area, to find where the child was. And then after this, Mary and Joseph had to make a journey to Egypt because Joseph was warned in a dream. Then they had to make a journey all the way back. Can you see how within the wisdom of the story is embedded the fact that journeys take place when we are truly coming to the outworking, the expression, the fulfillment of truth. But one of the things I think has been lost, particularly in evangelical tradition, is the wonder and the power and the necessity of a journey. We have turned everything into a slot machine thing just as long as you're here come to jesus here's what you do you come to the front you pray this prayer called the sinner's prayer and uh, you know we pronounce you saved forgiven heaven bound and that may be true and and it has worked for many of us but how did we get to the place that brought us to the place where we even were in a place to make that Decision, there were journeys involved and journeys are involved and sometimes we have been too prolific in our need for an immediate thing that we think then is the salvation rather than understanding that embedded in this story are journeys, there are journeys. I've been on journeys and I'm now on another journey and will always be on journeys that bring us to the place where the Christ is. It's like there is a drawing that brings us on and brings us further. The terminology of Scripture says we go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. The journey doesn't end, but the first journey brings us to the recognition of God made flesh, of the Word made flesh, of the one who changes everything, the one who brings heaven to earth and says that humanity can now be full of heaven's glory. So don't be afraid of or resistant to the journey that brings you to the truth you'll always find acceptance here in encouraging you on that journey because I don't want you to find in some ways a false moment I want you to find the real thing where you find the real Jesus in the real manger who you know is the one sent from above so that it becomes a reality so let's bring this to a close we've talked for long enough I think Um, one more point every one of us I would like to believe and would sincerely desire would share the hope that the virgin birth is a reality um, I I'm not an uneducated man um, my, my background before ministry was engineering um, I knew about line on line precept on precept you know whether your discipline is physics or chemistry or engineering or any of those disciplines. We're not uneducated fools. But I want you to know I believe in the virgin birth. See, if the virgin birth is not a reality, then nothing else about the spiritual content and context is a reality either. And actually it becomes pointless because if there is no miracle within it, then it becomes nothing more than a code by which you live. It becomes no more than a philosophy for life. It has no power over death. It only has has influence in how we live, not the power that that goes beyond when we we die. I I, I believe in the, the virgin birth. I think it's an essential element of the reality of Word made flesh, is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And the reason for that, as I said, with the intelligence that is within the context of Scripture is that if, if God can turn up in human flesh in all his fullness, then it doesn't only have to be a Mary it can be a Mal and it can, be a, it can be a Chris and it can be a Beth and it can be a, it can be a Jenny and it can be an Anth that he still turns up because the Word made flesh is still happening. There is still a visitation. There is still a desire. See, that's why Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was Christ in Mary, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We become pregnant with and give birth to that same promise, that same living word that becomes a reality of where Christ in us, through us, from us, becomes the word made flesh in us and through us and by us and we still become the kingdom of God in the earth. So I hope you share the hope that is the virgin birth as a reality. Is it absurd? It's totally absurd. It is ridiculously absurd. But I think also one of the reasons that Magi were called to, the, to, the, to, to visit the Christ is because they were also known as the magicians. They believed in magic. And magic men were called to what one could argue was the greatest act of magic, on a par at least with the resurrection. Maybe those were the two greatest acts of magic the world has ever seen that could only happen, this wasn't illusion. Remember, there's a difference between illusion and magic. They really believed these guys could do magic. So I like the fact that in the story, people who do magic are called to the greatest magic trick that you could have ever imagined that was not a trick that they witnessed because God was made flesh and was born of a virgin in that manger, bringing life to the world. So is it absurd? Yes, it is. Can you argue the virgin birth from a rational perspective? Don't even begin to try because it's not meant to be explained from a rational perspective. But you see, here's the problem. If you wanna explain the virgin birth from a rational perspective, you gotta sort out all your issues from a rational perspective. You have nothing other than the rationale that you can't make it, you haven't got enough, you've not done enough, and it's not working. That's all you have to work with. But if you have something beyond the rationale, if you have something that says this is absurd but true that the word can come into a person and be born and Christ can turn up and there can be a miracle, the magic of heaven, then what it means is that your life is no longer bound by the rationale of your existence and your circumstance. Miracle does happen. This was a miracle in the making and for you there's a miracle in the making. I have hope in the virgin birth. I believe in the reality of it because if it is, the reality that it's possible that by very non-human means something very humanly impacting can happen to the least of us. I think the wonder of the gospel is that something very non-human happens to us. Something beyond our frailty, beyond our weakness. Something that changes lives and, and, and fixes lives and heals lives and and puts lives on the right track because something very unhuman happens. There was something very unhuman was happening here in the virgin birth. And I want you tonight to realise that if unhuman things can happen in the human sphere, and we live in the human sphere, it means those unhuman things which are heaven's touch, and I can say that, which are heaven's touch, can turn up in our life, in my life, in your life. So, where do we finish? We finish here, and I think it's the classic of the, of the wisdom of the Christmas story. Um, you know, this, this the story says this angel turns up and has this conversation with Mary, and it's going to cost. But her reply is, let it be to me, as you have said. And there's something very powerful about those words when when you're dealing with spirituality spirituality is not a performance based thing spirituality is not something that you do it's something that you have and the something that you have you don't have because of what you do but what spirituality does spirituality says let it be to me as you have said spirituality is really a gospel of humility it's the gospel of yes. It's the gospel of agreement. It's the gospel of submission. It's the gospel of letting go and, and we used to say letting God. It, it's the gospel that says, let it be to me as you have said. There was nothing that that Mary could have done to get herself pregnant according to the word that had been given. Nothing She could do nothing to make that a reality. All she could do we say, if that's true, let it be to me, as you have said. And we're sat here tonight because the world changed on, on the power of those words. If those words had never been said, who knows what would have happened? And what would have happened might have been very different, and we might not be sat here. But on the power of those words, let it be to me as you have said, we're here tonight. Life has changed. I've been blessed. I've been helped. I've been healed been set free, know that I'm forgiven, know that the life of God is in me, know that death is defeated. And it all began with those words. So my proposal to you is that those words are still as powerful today as they ever were when Mary spoke them in that little room when the angel appeared to her. And that your greatest contribution to this process of miracle is simply the willingness to say to God, let it be to me, as you have said. He has promised his life, he has promised that you already have his forgiveness. He's promised that he will live in you in the same way that he lived in Mary and that what comes out of you will be something that comes from the Christ of God, the word of God. Floyd, now we've used terminologies for those things in the past that I don't use as much today, but that really is this wonder of salvation, that really is the fulfillment of what we have come to know as the more beautiful gospel, of which we become a participator, not a creator. We don't create it, we participate in it. And it comes because it says, let it be to me, as you have said. So I want to say to every one of you today, wherever you identify, wherever your journey is, wherever you've come from, you know, however far out it is here in some spiritual perspectives of weirdness, which, you know, there are aspects of that with these Persians that came whether it's the simplicity of shepherds who feel rejected, whether you feel a failure, whether you, know, whether you feel you're okay. You're still stuck within the humanity and the circumstance that surrounds you unless something changes that. And this is the miracle that changes it. This is the wonder of the incarnation So let me say this in closing. I make a distinction between nativity and incarnation. Nativity simply means that that how, how Jesus was born, the practical surroundings of Jesus being born, the nativity. Incarnation is something else. That means God, the word in heaven, becoming flesh on the earth. I'm not that fussed about nativity, but I am deeply, deeply bothered about incarnation. I don't want you to have a nativity this Christmas. I want you to have an incarnation. God in you, Christ in you, the life of God, so that when you give birth, you know that a child is born, a son is given, and the government is on his shoulders, and it's wonderful, he's counsellor, is mighty God, he's Prince of Peace, and he's in your life and he's working with you and he's working for you and he's bringing you to that place of wonder and that place of life. So let's just bow our heads just for a minute, okay? So God speaks good things over you. He speaks his forgiveness, he speaks his life, he speaks his acceptance, he speaks miracle. So are you willing in your heart just right now to say to God, let it be to me as you have said? Might be you're struggling with your own guilt, your own inadequacy, your own weakness, your own sense of condemnation. It might be you're struggling with, with sickness and 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 uh, whether that's in your body or in your mind. Value all of these things. But God has promised good to you. That's the gospel. It's promised good to you because it says the word was made flesh and the glory of the Father was revealed full of grace and full of truth, and that's how he is for you tonight. So maybe in your heart you just want to say, let it be to me. Lord, please let it be to me tonight. As you have said, be born in me. Be born in me today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there you go. Uh, We shall pay it forward. If you are ready, then the guys are going to come. The guys come and do their song. And uh, if you need to pay online, don't forget you go on the website, go to my donate, and um, do it from there. But we love you, we bless you, and uh, don't forget No Meeting Wednesday, and don't forget our house at uh, Yardra, our house next week.